Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Well, how are you now, Ska? Ah, oh, there you are now. He's bleeding massive. A fair play in all fairness. Good hopping. Give a shot, yeah. I'm allergic to this. Relax the cocks. Go way out of that. Ah, oh, Jesus. Just yourself. Get that into you, Cynthia. Hello, everybody. Happy Christmas. It's the 23rd of December. Oh, my God. And I'm releasing an episode of a podcast two days before Christmas. But in my sanity, I'm thinking a lot of you are heading out today stress shopping because something hasn't arrived. Amazon hasn't delivered or you're just panicking because somebody dropped said they're going to drop around with a gift for you. And you're like, ah, and you can't go into town. You need to be focused. So you're heading in to Blanchetown or Matten Centre or wherever you're going and you have the headphones on, you're like, right, I can't listen to another version of a Christmas song. So I'm going to listen to this podcast instead. Or you're just at home, you've everything done and you're chilled on the couch because Christmas has begun. You're sitting there, a packet of giant buttons or something, loving your life. Well, thank you. Thank you for giving up some of your Christmas whenever you are listening to this or if it's in the new year. Thank you so, so much for pressing play on Tis Yourself on our last episode of the year. If it's your first time listening, my name is Nicola Barden. This is my little podcast and this is season five. And this is a very special episode for me because I absolutely love my guest today. Robert Burke, uh, Bobby Burke is a superstar in so many different shows. And, you know, if you are a Gossip Girl fan, you will know him from that. If you're a Law and Order fan, which is how I knew him initially, um, is from that. He's been in Sex and the City. He's been in Robocop. He's been in Black Panther. He has been in Army Wives. Uh, what else? White Collar. Oh, Rescue Me. Obviously, we talk a lot about Rescue Me in this episode. He was in, as anyone who's been in SVU has been in the other Law and Order. So there's <laughs> loads and loads and loads and loads to talk about. I couldn't obviously talk about everything, but we did talk a lot about the big shows, um, how we got into acting. We talked about working with the likes of Dennis O'Leary, Mariska Hargitay, Chris Maloney, Ice-T, all the different, look, we, we cover so much in the chat. And then, of course, we talk about Ireland because uh, Bobby's parents are both from Galway. And they immigrated to New York. So it's where he was grown, grew up with his brothers and sisters. We had a lot to talk about. He comes back all the time. So I promised him a pint of Guinness in Dublin if he ever makes it here. Or I'll treat him to one when I go to New York next. More, probably more likely that I'll be there because I try to come like once a year to New York. Anyway, so much to chat about. So I am going to go straight to the episode. I know that's why a lot of you are here. And then I'll come back to you at the end of the episode. A little message afterwards. Hello. Hi, Nicola. How are you? Good. Couldn't believe it when I saw that your family are, you know, like first generation Irish. Yeah. Yeah, I am. Yeah. My mother and father were are from Galway. We're from Galway anyway. And um, uh, from around Lochray, um, you know, little villages mm. outside of towns, supposedly, you know, 
Valley David and my father. I don't know what real village. It was called Barathur. It was like a mountainous area. And I'm trying to think of what percentage of the family. There's a great percentage, 80, over 80% who are still there, uh, still living around. You know, uh, young folks obviously have traveling to Australia and New Zealand and Canada here and there. Um, but a great many of the family are still in the Galway area. And so are they just, was it the same as most the typical Irish story of needing to go for work and going to America? I think so. On my mother's side, on my for my mother's part, um, she didn't really have a great affinity uh, for Ireland in certain respects. And she just, I think she wanted to go. She was going to go with her brother, but her brother had to cancel. So she said she's going ahead with it. And then my father, I, I don't think he wanted to come to America at all, but... <laughs> He had been dating my mother for many years. And, um, you know, after another year, he came out. And in 19, my mother came here in 1949 and my father in 1950. And that was that, you know, uh, they were very much in love and, um, you know, settled in the city in Manhattan and, um, you know, raised a family. So many girls are listening to this now going, I can't even get a man to text me back. And she got a man <laughs> to follow her to New York. Well, you know, different times, that's for sure. <laughs> so you were born in New York. So you were like a proper uh, New Yorker. Uh, yeah, uh, you could say. It's interesting because New York has so many different areas. And where we were, you know, the the typical proper New Yorker has never been to the Empire State Building or the Statue of Liberty or those. <laughs> I, I didn't go to those places until we moved out of the city. But um, the neighborhood we were in was very ethnic, you know, uh, Jewish, Cuban, Irish, when I was a child. And I think in my memory, it seemed like everybody got along in those days. Mm -hmm. um, but what was interesting is, whereas when I go to Ireland and I'm in the West, you hear a West accent, you go to the North, because you're in America now, you hear the accents of each of the counties. Do you know what I mean? You, you, <laughs> you recognize them very quickly very early on or what how they were then they've softened i think over time but um yeah so different uh first generation you know uh, different immigrants were from different counties yeah it seemed like everybody got along and everybody helped each other new york's my favorite city in the world and there's such a vibe there of just you are who you are and it's accepted and like and nobody looks at you like they they just they don't look at you if you're wearing a weird clothing or, you know, you're crying in the road. They just look through they're you. All their, they're all their eyes at you. You know, it's like <laughs> you need attention, you know, but no, uh, so much is absorbed and so much is, you know, uh, no remarks are passed of, of certain things. It's been going on for centuries. Uh, <laughs> the Dutch, the Dutch, when they found New York, they were very accepting of everything. They were very concerned about commerce. So that's why still to this day, New York has a very, um, you know, uh, what's inclusive and accepting quality. It goes back to the Dutch, uh, you know, as long as the commerce and the finance is going, everything else is, is, is good. I read that in a book <laughs> called, <laughs> called Island at the Center of the World. And it was about, you know, the oranges of Manhattan and how it came to be um, very tolerant and very financially oriented. Yeah. I, I always been so intrigued by growing up in America because we see it through TV screens and movies and, cheerleaders and jocks and, you know, nerds. Yeah. What was your story like? Um, that's a good question because early on in the city, we were children and that's where the hardwiring goes in. That's, you know, your parents are making you who you're going to be. 
Um, and then when we moved to Long Island, it was a different culture there. I remember my brother and I, we were in someone's kitchen and they said, well, where's your father? And, and they said, oh, he's skiing with his girlfriend. And we were like, what? You know, it's like, we never heard of anything like that. Um, oh, yeah, my parents are divorced and everything. We never heard of anything like that. So there was all these little pockets of, uh, and there were other things culturally. I don't hold it against my parents at all, but you like, you never took food in anybody else's house. You know, it's like, <laughs> hey, you know, and I had twin brother and it was like Robert and William. And uh, we have uh, 800 extra hot dogs here, which I like one. Oh, no, thank you. You know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't take it because you, because the signal was you didn't have food in your own house or uh, we weren't allowed to really sleep over people's houses. Like, yeah, I have a fine bed. In the, yeah. So there were these cultural, you know, clashes, I think, in my childhood uh, growing up. Uh, but I saw them really for what they were uh, later in life. Uh, and I think I appreciated them. But uh, yeah, so the people, you know, I was very lucky. The schooling that I had and the teachers that I had were always very good. Actually, that gets me into the acting. I wasn't a great student. I, I think I tried. I wasn't very smart. <laughs> In high school, they guide you and they say, well, listen, you don't show great. You're never going to be a mathematician or you're never going to solve anything in chemistry. But you're, you seem to show some propensity with this acting. So we're going to give you an internship oh. instead of going to your last year of, of high school. And uh, so I did that and I toured the country with them. But they also had a a chance to audition for two of the the shows and I auditioned for both of them and I got into both of them and I threw the broom down and off I went to tour the country and they paid me, they paid me like a lot of money uh, to eat. It was the per diem. This is what we're going to give you to eat. And uh, I came home with a lot of this money, this cash, which couldn't be taxed because I was a student. Uh, and I had it in literally two shoe boxes and I showed my father and he's like, what's that? And I said, that's what they gave me for acting. He's like, oh, you know, he goes, it might not be a bad thing. Can you go to university for that? And I said, yeah. And, and uh, he says, okay. So I, I tried out for universities. I went to several universities. And then the last one I, I graduated from was called uh, the State University of New York at Purchase. Purchase was the name of the town. And the training there was um, conservatory classical training. The standards were very high if you were late once you were kicked out of the school. So, you know, you were never late. Uh, sickness, you know, death. I mean, it was just, but the students who came out of that program are not late. Uh, so that's how I kind of got into the acting. Yeah. Wow. Like, I am just trying to imagine if somebody said that now to students, you get one time you're late, kicked out. Like, is it still the same way, do you think? It is at that program. Wow. Uh, I should say two latenesses. And, and that is marked an absence, and it's inexcusable. There's no, absolutely no reason. I mean, you can call ahead, you can do this, that, the other, but um, and then your work had to be prepared all the time. You had to, you had to be prepared to work. You know, my sisters are nurses and nurse practitioners, and into you know they're all retired, but they all had tremendous medical careers. And, you know, at holidays, they'd say, how's juggling class going, Robert? Is that going well for you? You know, they would disparage it a little. They don't disparage it anymore. But um, but it was extensive training. It was good training. And uh, by 
you know, any standard really, I believe. So. And it, yeah, it gives you an appreciation when you're finished that you know that when you turn up for a job, you're going to be on time. I suppose that's a, like a skill that's you, like you didn't realize you were gaining. You, you don't realize it when you're young, you're at university, your agenda is a little, you know, youthful, but, uh, there were very strong actors, Edie Falco, uh, Wesley Snipes, Stanley Tucci, Adrian Brody, who came out of that program wow. uh, and, conti- and continue to. And I'm only mentioning just a handful. And we know, each of us know the training of the other and what we went through. So it was good. It was, it was, I was very grateful to have gotten that kind of training. So what, when you finished university then, you know, you're coming into this world of acting that we know is hard. But like, how was it then in comparison to now trying to get a job? Um, Well, my father died in my senior year there, my last year there. And that kind of took the wind out of my sails. And Mm. I think he wanted me to be a policeman. (laughs) And I I was going to be a policeman because that's what you did in New York. Uh, And we had connections in the New York City Police Department. And, uh, you know, years later, my friends joke with me that uh, that I ended up playing a policeman a lot for, for a lot better, you know, uh, for a lot better pay. So I took it was going to be six months away from acting and trying to pursue it. Mm. Um, and uh, I did contracting, brickwork, uh, carpentry, plastering, painting. And uh, the six months turned into six years just in the blink of an eye. So a fellow I had been at university with, he was in the film program. Uh, Hal Hartley was his name. And um, he called me and he said, oh, are you, what do you do now? And I said, well, I'm, I'm building a patio on the roof uh, in Manhattan downtown. And he said, are you acting? I said, I, I don't know what's going on. And he had a, um, an independent film that he had written called The Unbelievable Truth. And he said, I'd like you to be in it. And I said, oh, how long does it take? And he said, 11 days. And I'm like, oh, geez, I don't know if I have 11 days. It was wildly short time. Um, so I ended up doing that. And I went back to the contracting. And the film uh, was shown at the Toronto Film Festival and Sundance Film Festival. And he called me one day and he said, okay. He said, your, your life is about to change. And I said, oh, in what way? He said, well, the film has been bought. And they want you to do press now around the country. And uh, that was uh, 33 years ago. You know, so it, it it just worked out that he, Hal Hartley, and that film kind of gave me my beginning. I had had an agent and a manager and all that when I graduated university. But I let all that go. And then I had to reconstitute it. But through the festivals, you know, your film is shown and agents come up to you and they're like, we'd like to work with you. So it was, it was, it was, it worked out. It really worked out. I can't imagine that, like, because you kind of gave up your dream after your dad died. And then to have this second chance out of the blue. And even at that, you weren't thinking of it second chance. It was like nearly like a project to go back to your everyday life then. It was strange. I just, I don't know why I was in the way I was in, but, uh, I said, if it's supposed to happen, it'll happen. And I had a very content life as a, as a contractor. Mm. You know, you, you have headaches and things don't work out and people don't pay you and all these types of things. But it was honest. It was good. I was with uh, friends of mine working and we were always having fun. I mean, we were always laughing and carrying on. Uh, but, uh, 
Yeah. So I, I was always very suspicious of, um, not suspicious, what's the word? Uncomfortable with the prospect of uh, show business. I had no point of reference. You know, when I told my father I was going to be an actor, he goes, a fucking what? And I go, an actor. He goes, oh, geez, because we don't do that. He goes, we don't. And I remember he looked at me like, he goes, we don't even know anybody who does do that, you know. And I, I think back on him now, and I think, uh, you know, he must have been afraid that, like, he goes, Jesus, what's in this kid's head? But, uh, you know, but he was also supportive, too. You know, he, he would support it in a way. And uh, um, and my mother would, was very supportive of it. <laughs> she was so funny. She'd always ask me two things with, you know, I say, oh, my, I have another movie. Would there be anything out of it? <laughs> like, just like, yeah, they're going to give me a few by you. And, and she'd always ask me, is it going to be a good film? And I tell her, I say, Ma, it's going to, we make the good ones the same way as we make the bad ones. You know, we, we show up, we try our best. But um, I was very lucky with my family and the support that I had. You know, I wasn't the kid looking out the window dreaming of being an actor. Mm. That just was, I'm still not that person. I i just was just allowing, you know, whatever happens to happen. And, and okay, so we did the independent movie and then they call me for this next job and you go and you do that one. And, oh, you know, the, the second one, though, was with uh, Robert Duvall and Laura Dern and Laura's mother, Diane Ladd, and I was nauseous, nauseous for like a week. Like, Robert Duvall, what am I going to say to him? You know, he was one of my heroes. I loved his acting. I loved his work. Um, and I was so, like, literally couldn't eat. And then when I got down there to shoot, um, he came out of the trailer with a little dog, and he's got a Frisbee, and he's throwing the dog, and the Frisbee lands by me, and I'm like, you know, now what? And I throw the Frisbee back, and now I'm playing Frisbee. So it was just funny the way things unfold. Um, and we got very close. He just couldn't be nicer. So I began to see that uh, it's not, th these people aren't, you know, to be put on any high place or low place. They're just, you know, uh, people who happen to be in a yeah. different kind of profession, yeah. But that must be very strange, like, because, you know, let's say five months ago, you're working on a building site or you're fixing that patio. And then you're like, here is my hero and I'm going to work with him every day. I got a call, like my third film or fourth film was RoboCop 3. I took over for Peter Weller. And I got a call from my old buddy, Paulie, who I contracted with. He says, hey, Brooke, he says, the house we did out in Brooklyn, the walls are cracking. And I said, yeah. And he says, D did you tell her that you... You know, you, uh, what's the word? Um, you know, you guaranteed the work. I said, I did tell her that. I'm doing movies. I'm not coming back to fix her, the cracks in her wall. But he went out there anyway. They had put a big air conditioning unit on the building next door. That was what was cracking the walls. Anyway, yeah, there was a crossover there for a while. But uh, yeah, no, it is strange. It's still strange. One minute you see the people on television and you've seen them all your life. And that keeps happening. And the next minute they're in front of you speaking with them. And it's just very surreal in a way. Um, but it's fun. I mean, but it's nerve wracking. <laughs> <laughs> when did you decide that's it? Construction gone. I'm not doing this anymore. I'm going to stick with the acting. When they put me on the plane to do that um, press tour for the first movie. <laughs> yeah. um, as you know, it was, it was fun. It was fun. And uh, there was a film critic named Roger Ebert. 
and we were at the Sundance Film Festival and Robert Redford and this person and that person. And, and we had breakfast with him and he was critiquing the film. He enjoyed it immensely. And I thought, well, if this guy enjoys it, then we're okay, you know. Um, but like I said, on to the next one and the next one and the next one. And um, and then all of a sudden you blink and, you know, years have gone by and you've been doing it. You've been just, I pinch myself. I'm telling you, Nicola, to this day, to this day, I pinch myself that I get to do this. Like if anyone just looks at your IMDb, you've done so many things. Like, you know, when I was saying to my sister, I was speaking to you, she knows you from Gossip Girl. Then my other sister knows you from being in Sex in the City. Somebody else I said to knew from Robocop. Oh, yeah. So like there's, and then I know from like, let's say first from SVU. So like there are so many different audiences that know you from a different role and a different route. It's you've like, I know you say play, play a lot of, you know, law enforcement, but you have done different things so many times throughout your career. Well, I had a lot of autonomy too. Um, you know, I swim in the middle. Being the lead in RoboCop, you know, I wasn't, uh, it wasn't artistically the smartest move. I had a Stephen King role where I was the lead. And I'd always think to myself, they're not going to give it to me. There's no way they're going to give it to me. So I had nothing to lose when I would meet them to, mm -hmm. to audition. But, you know, heavy is the head that wears the crown. You have to put up with a lot of nonsense. So I love, I love the guest star roles where I play the mean guy who comes in. Uh, I always enjoy playing the bad guy because it's just fun. You know, you come in and you rattle everybody's cage um, as best you can. And the more you rattle the cage, the more the, you can get the audience to hate you, the more you're doing your job, you know. So, um, and I made tremendous, you know, friendships mm. on Special Victims Unit. I love Mariska Hargitay and Chris Maloney. It was just and, you know, the, what they do is a grind, you know, up at three o'clock in the morning, there at 4.30, you know, oh, memorize 38 pages. What? You know, I mean, <laughs> people think acting is very uh, easy. It's not easy. It's uh, it's 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 very stressful, the memorization, the hours. So, yeah, lots of funny stories about uh, uh, working on that show. You know, Dennis Leary and I worked together for uh, seven years on a show about the fire department. Oh, yeah, rescue yeah, we still work together doing foundation work. And uh, I don't call it charity. It's not charity, but it's uh, uh, foundation work for um, for fire departments uh, all around the world. And was that through Rescue Me that you got into that kind of work or was that beforehand? Hmm. Um, it was concurrent, really. After 9-11, I became a volunteer firefighter in my community. And Dennis had already had the Leary Firefighter Foundation going in 1999. Mm. So it wasn't until two years later that we actually got together in three years or four years that the, the television show started. And, um, and then the foundation work, you know, that came out of it. But I still, you know, we still do events each year. And it's, whereas a lot of foundation work, Peter's and out and goes by the wayside his seems to just gain momentum each year which i really respect and um and it's a pleasure to to be a part it's a it's a privilege it's an honor i i really like the fire service in the states well everywhere really i respect them because you know when the when the tone goes off and the bell goes off you don't oh what religion are you what race are you what gender are you what's your 
you just go, you know, and there's a purity to that type of service, I think, um, that I, I really like in this day and age, because everybody's always asking, oh, what can I do? How can I help? Well, that was that was one way I I answered that question. Oh, and it was because my my friend, his name was Captain Patty Brown. He was a very high profile firefighter in New York City, lots of rescues and medals and everything. And uh, actually, the room that I'm in, I turned it into a little bit of an office it used to be his room. It, when I rented this house years ago, I used to rent the house with buddies, friends. And then I bought the place. And then so he used to stay here, but he he died on 9-11. And it, so joining the fire service was uh, kind of a dedication. I dedicate my service to his memory. Mm. You know, I I often share a saying that I read uh, that grief was love with nowhere to go. And once I was able to find a direction for the grief, um, it was the fire service and, you know, driving the ambulance also. So it helped. It helped with the grief. It helped with that whole time. And it still helps. I, I enjoy it. When we lose someone, you're right. We want to do something to help somebody. If it's if you're kind of one step away from the family, let's say, you're like, what can I do? Whether it's I'll make a sandwich, I'll make it, I'll make the tea, whatever. Whatever it is. You just feel lost. But like with something like 9-11 and joining the fire service, that's huge because you are also changing your life and you're, you've seen what the city is going through. So to do that is an, an amazing legacy to to your friend. Well, you know, at the beginning, I thought it was a good idea. And then all of a sudden, it's like, what have I gotten myself into? <laughs> you know, once you go to your first fire and you're the guy and people are looking at you, it's like, uh-oh. I tell a, a story sometimes that at my first fire and the fire's blowing out and uh, I think to myself, how did I get, I'm an actor. I shouldn't be here. This is, there's some kind of mistake. And I, and I say to myself, I didn't sign on for this. And then my friend's voice comes to me and he said, this is exactly what you signed on for. So, you know, it's, that's another thing. It's like the acting that I had no idea that it would be in my life that I would be able to do it. People joke, they said, Burke, you're Irish Catholic from Washington Heights in Manhattan. You know, you, you missed your call to begin with. I'm sorry to tell you, you should have been a fireman. But um, the fact that I get to do it um, for my own community is, I, I, it's surreal. I never thought I would be able to do that. It must be very strange then if you're working on Rescue Me and you're, you know, filming fires and firefighters. And then in the evening, the beeper goes off and it's like, I've been doing this all day. Bacon, it ha it, it, it used to happen. I mean, it, you know, you get out of bed at one o'clock in the morning. There's two houses going. You put them out. You don't have to be at the set of Rescue Me until, let's say, 10 a.m., which is late. And you get there and you're exhausted. You, you know, and I used to say somebody's not getting their money's worth out of me today. But it's happened. It's happened a lot where, you know, I have a very early call to leave home and and the tones will go off. My wife will tell you anytime I have a trip booked to Ireland, the night before there'll be a fire. I took a picture. Uh, September 16th, 2019 was the morning I left to go to, to go to Shannon. And, uh, and, and I literally went up on the roof and took a picture of the smoke in the next community. And I'm like, I'm not fucking going. This <laughs> it's like, but. Yeah, yeah, and we do a, a fair bit of training always. There's so many different aspects to it. The government, FEMA, Homeland Security, there's all these safety organizations 
you're always having to certify and recertify. So it, it takes a lot of time. The commitment, you only understand the commitment as you go along. But, uh, but because of my schedule, because of the way my life was set up, um, my children, you know, I was able to be a coach for them in sports. So it really, I was always able to juggle somehow uh, to do it. I have a friend who's a volunteer firefighter now. We live in a small town. So, you know, it, a lot of times it could be car crashes, wreckages and stuff like that. Um, or near a motorway or it could be, you know, fires. And when he first joined, he's also a volunteer. I don't yeah. think I realised the magnitude of it. You know, he told me about it. Um, we're sitting in his house one day and the beeper goes up and he is out, gone. Door's still open. He's gone. And... It was simple things like you're in the middle of a movie and he's or he's taking a nap, but he's taking a nap in his clothes, ready to go. If the fire like people don't realize it and then you see it and you think, wow, I I suppose I thought being younger, I maybe thought he decides what hours he works, you know. There's other people who are doing it full time, but no, it's it's just it's a second job. It 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 is, depending on how much you train and you know, and then when you start to see those things, because there's people in communities never seen a fire, never seen a car crash. You know, I hadn't until I started this. I mean, I'd seen uh, plenty of stuff, but in, in, in that respect, in one respect, but let's say uh, Saturday morning, you know, seven o'clock in the morning, the tones go off and it's uh, somebody having a heart attack about two, like not even a mile from me. I think it was, yeah. This is what you hear. Okay, chest pain. 75-year-old male. I'm like, do I know him? You know, and out the door we go. So does is he going to need a helicopter? Is he going to need a boat? What's he going to need to get out of here? What's causing the chest? Is it indigestion or is this guy in full arrest? There's been times I've left my house at 3 o'clock in the morning. You know, I'm half asleep and, you know, you're giving chest compressions to, until the until they arrive. And then the, there's a funny aspect to that, too. Uh, there's been times I've gone in and they're like, they're in there and I'll go in and everything. Wait a minute, isn't that the guy from Special Victims Unit? Or <laughs> that happened over the years many times. And I, I tell the story that members in our in our department would say, yeah, that's him. And then we'd be delayed getting back because I have to speak to the people. I don't want to act like a jerk. So... They're like, oh, we're delayed getting back. And I was like, well, that's because you told them who, you know, what I was. So anyway, nowadays, if somebody says, is that the guy from Gossip Girl? Like, you know, no, 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 no. It just looks like him. Just looks like it's not him at all. No, he gets at it all the time. Yeah. So so anyway, there's a funny crossover there. But I I just love the being able to help, you know, uh, you know, in certain countries, if you dial 911 or whatever it is they dial in Ireland, Somebody's going to come and help you, mm-hmm. and I think that's uh, I think that's just always been a wonderful thing, really. Yeah, it's. Look, I, I was just thinking there when you were saying that if my house went on fire and you know you burst in the door, I'd be like, "Okay, my house on fire," but that's Ed Tucker. What's going on here? Oh, my tears from the smoke. <laughs> a hotel, and everybody was emptying out. It must have been like a, a girls' weekend or something because there's all these girls who are coming out of the hotel, and I had on the the helmet and the air tank and the hook and the can and as I was going in the door one of the girls just looked at me and she's like and she didn't say Bart Bass from Gossip Girl what she said was 
are you Chuck's dad? And, and, and I, I snapped my head and I looked at her and I said, Chuck's dad is dead. And I, and I left like this. And, and at that point I was dead on the show. I came back ultimately, but she, she was nervous. She was shaken. She was pointing. And I kind of hid from her for the rest of the call, trying to tell her girlfriends that Bart Bass is one of the firemen. And they were like, honey, did you drink tonight? Are you okay? You know, <laughs> so it, it, it's funny things, funny things happen like that. But, um, but again, yeah, that's just two worlds colliding into into the one. But I find it it's fun. It's like you know, because you don't play up the acting part on on when you know grandma's having a you know a a heart attack or you know a, a child is you know near drowning or something. You, you you definitely we all take it seriously, and the people I I work with are just fantastic. A heavy heavy dedication, even in as much as it's voluntary. You know, you're still obliged to to ethically and professionally do your job. Oh God, yeah! Like you know, you're not going to be going into it half arsed if you've committed to the training and everything. This is your second job. This is I'm here and I'm not thinking about the fact that I have to learn these lines. I'm 100 percent in. Yeah, you worry about the lines afterwards. (laughs) You could be you could be sued here so easily. Everything is about everything is about you know not getting sued how you do your job on the fire ground. Everybody has a camera. Everybody's taking pictures of you while you're doing it. We had a fire back in September and there were like a hundred phones like up videotaping us while we were, you know, laying the hose in and, and, and knocking the fire down. So yeah, you have to be cognizant of that these days too. You're, you're always being scrutinized. I saw you had a mini um, reunion when you were working with Dennis. That was it. Earlier this year, you guys did some sort of a fire fundraiser and I saw Chris and Mershka were there and a few other oh, yeah. famous people. I literally was like, this is OK. So we've got Law and Order. We've got Rescue Me. We've got blah. I literally like a who's who of the law enforcement TV world. So uh, Dennis has the found- Le- Leary Firefighter Foundation. And like when I explained before, that he keeps kicking it up a notch. Mm-hmm. And so with Dennis, he doesn't want you to come and have hors d'oeuvres and a couple of drinks and sign mm-hmm. a check for some money. So about seven years ago, he started what's called the Leary Firefighter Challenge. And we go to the fire department in New York, the FDNY uh, Training Academy. And it's vast. It's this big place and it's storied and it's scary. And, uh, you know, the training is hard and everything. So what, what he has is like business executives and celebrities, they sign checks and they give money to the foundation. But he doesn't really want your money. What he wants you to do is go through the training. So for the day, Mariska and Chris, they were always trying to get out there for seven years. And it was the schedule and this and that, but they they were able to come this year. We've had uh, John Slattery and Steve Buscemi, um, Juliana Margulies, uh, Michael J. Fox, uh, tons of people come through over the years. And, you know, you rappel down and you go into the fire room and uh, put the fire out and you cut the car in half and everything, you know. Even and, and these are the executives too, who they pay fifty thousand dollars and four of them show up. Or, but the next time a siren goes by, you know they have a little more skin in the game. They're a lot more cognizant of what's involved. It's not just writing a check and having a couple of drinks. Jesus, you know, I, I, you know, I, re, you know, rappel down that building, or I was in a room where my helmet started to melt. They start to really understand, you know, going up six flights of steps with you know a hundred pounds on your shoulder. You know, that'll that'll make a believer out of you. So it's a lot more 
effective in terms of you, you just don't want their money. You want them to have the experience of of where their money is going and why. And it's been a tremendous success. I mean, a tremendous success. And it's a real morale booster for the instructors at the academy. Yeah. And, and, and you know, if I don't get to see Dennis, I saw him November. We were up at another charity called Comics Come Home. It's for cancer. And it's ballooned 27 years. They've been doing it. It's sold out, you know, the Boston Garden. And it's comedians. And I'm telling you, you're sore for a week when you get home from that, from laughing. So he's always going. You know, he's a guy. He never he never put the flag down. A good carryman, too, I should say. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, his parents, both of his parents emigrated from Kerry. So we used to talk on the set about our upbringings, you know, and, and they were very similar in, in a lot of ways. So many years, like the the first thing we would ask each other is, "How's your mother?" <laughs> like this, you know? <laughs> uh, but yeah, he's he's a great guy, and um, so yeah, this year the Marishka and uh, and Chris Maloney were able to come, and they had a great time. They were fantastic, and that the likes of those going really highlights the charity because obviously the Law and Order SVU fans are absolutely when especially when it's the two of them, you know, they're they're huge into it, and I saw it all over Twitter and everything like that. So that raises yeah. amazing awareness as well because they get involved. And, you know, Mariska, she's had a couple of medical issues, you know, like she's got like a, like screws in her feet and this and that happened to her. And the next, I, I was saying, don't let her do any of this stuff, you know, and <laughs> next thing you know, she's hanging like six stories up. I'm like, oh my God, don't drop her. But uh, she was all about it. She was, you know, every single thing she did. And uh, I, I just, I, you know, I just shut my mouth and said, let her, let her, she, there's no stopping her. That woman is a, is a force of nature. And even in her own foundation work, uh, the Joyful Heart Foundation, you know, you're an actor and you're playing a role. And then all of a sudden people start to write letters to you. And then, you know, 50 letters and then 100 letters and then 1,000 letters and then and then all of a sudden you're getting tens of thousands of letters from women who have been abused or raped. And 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 as an actor, you're like, well, wait a minute, I'm an actor. But some people step back from it. But people like Mariska have stepped forward and they started the Joyful Heart Foundation. She's been to Washington and she's changed some laws about rape kits. And there was a backlog. It's like they're not testing these things. And they were finding like a lot of the people committing these crimes were doing so repeatedly. And if you would only check these things, you'd know that. So she's unbelievable, you know, just in terms of all the work she has done and uh, the time, you know, the time away from her family, the time away from, uh, you know, just sitting back that she could be doing. Yeah, I got it. I, I respect her more than anybody. I mean, she's just the best. She's she's unbelievable. When I had Dan on with me, he was saying, you know, he's not sure if, the writers start when the writers started to merge the two, Olivia and Mariska, but like they're both so powerful and, uh, you know, such great advocates and like bringing in different parts. But he was saying, you know, that's the legacy that she'll leave. It won't just be the Olivia Benson. It's with the joyful heart. The fact that she took on stuff that came to her because she played Olivia, that she saw the stuff, the, the backlogs and, and the abuse going on in the background and that she's now using that. Like, because she's, it's, it's a very serious subject, as you know, working on it. So working on that all day and then taking that on as well on the side. Yeah, it is a serious subject and it's a subject people step around, you know. Mm -hmm. But she didn't. Um, I think of uh, Gary Sinise. 
he plays Lieutenant Dan and Forrest Gump, yeah. you know, erstwhile comedy with, you know, you know, very deep themes and everything. And he's playing a, a, a wounded veteran. But the uh, connection that he made with the audiences and the military were so profound that, you know, he started the Gary Sinise Foundation. I can't even tell you how many homes he's built for injured veterans and not just, you know, the injuries that you can see, the injuries you can't see. So just that one role, you know, uh, I'm sure when he was playing it at the time, if you told him, oh, you know, in 20 years from now, you're you're going to have built, you know, 280 homes for what? <laughs> but sometimes we don't know the effect um, that these things have. And I think that's the best part of the acting thing when you can affect, you know, our job is to hold the mirror up to society, you know, in, in some way but when you can have an effect on people's lives in a positive way then it, it adds a little more meaning to what you're doing in life like just looking at the names that we've said there, like what you're doing with the fire service what dennis is doing gary marishka like these these are things that you don't have to do you know you have full-time jobs and you all decide that something has affected you personally in this journey in acting there are so many people out there not just in the entertainment industry but who have been affected but think somebody else is going to do it and they think you know oh sure there's already a charity out there or they don't need my help because somebody else to do it so to actually step up to the frame is so empowering because like you don't have to do you know what I mean but you do it, it meant something to you yeah it's a dangerous prospect to think that somebody else is going to take care of it you know and it doesn't have to be a big thing it could be lots and lots and lots of the little things that's the glue I think you know just being kind to somebody in your day and yeah, it's the little things that, that keep us all together. Yeah, because I hear of like, you know, an actor who doesn't even want to get a, you know, a selfie taken with someone in the street. And then you hear of an actor who's like going to Congress and taking on stuff. And you're like, right, let's see who I should be a fan of here. <laughs> it's a strange business, egotistically, uh, because you're, you know, the people, oh, you know, and uh, oh, would you like a glass of water? And I had my oldest son with me one day on set and somebody came to me and they said, oh, we just tried to get your son a, a hot chocolate. And he said, no. And I said, oh, what's going on? And he says, oh, he said, my father said I should get it myself or he'll be upset with me. So I said, <laughs> oh. like this. I said, fucking let him get it himself. But uh, yeah, but again, it's a strange business, you know, so uh, you can get caught in that trap. It depends on why you're in it, really. It's, it's, especially in America, my mother used to say, you know, America doesn't have royalty, you know, like the Royals, uh, they have celebrities and that's mm -hmm. who we treat as the Royals. So it's a dangerous slippery slope to, to think that you're any better than anybody else because you, because you're an actor. Jesus. It's like, <laughs> I'm, you know, I, I have reminded a lot of people, we're not curing cancer here, lads. No, it's like, <laughs> Hey, take it down a notch. Will you? But I've always I've always been lucky with the people I work with. They've always been pretty level headed, and um, if they're acting like you know less than that, they keep it to themselves. And in terms of like all the people you've worked on all the different shows and films, what is the one that you get recognized with most? Because obviously we've mentioned that you got recognized for Gossip Girl and SVU while in you know Fire Duty. But is there one in particular that people kind of go? No, you know it's. Sometimes you'd be out and say, I love you on the show. And, I, you know, when he'd be a pretentious idiot and say, which show? You know, I'd say, <laughs> I'd say 
I tell a story of where I was in this big department store and this little woman turned around and she said, you look like the actor on that show. And I said, oh, which actor? And she said, he's he's on the show. Uh, oh, I don't know his name. And my wife was behind me and I said, excuse me, miss. And my wife said, leave her alone. And I said, no, no, no. I said, miss, like, so what does he do? And she said, well, he's on television and films and you look like him. And I said, oh, you know, and and I tapped her again. I said, so he's on television and films and I look like I said, let me ask you. I said, is he any good? And she said, what do you mean? I said, well, is he a good actor? And she looked at me and she said, he's okay. <laughs> yeah. I said, oh, Jesus Christ. Uh, my wife said, yeah, you had to keep going with it. So she put me in my place very well. And then she looked at me. She said, it's you, isn't it? And I said, it is. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, it's funny. If it's young people, girls and stuff, it's Gossip Girl. Mm -hmm. If it's middle-aged, it's Special Victims Unit. Special Victims Unit has been on the air for 25 years. So it could be the demographic is wide. If it's firefighters, it's Rescue Me. If it's young, uh, what are they? Uh, uh, oh, I can't think of the word. What do we call them? Hipsters. It's this independent filmmaker that I used to do films with. So the demographics are different for different shows. And I'd say, oh, what film are you talking about? Or what show are you talking about? And they'll they'll tell you. And then there's some people who recognize you from, uh, I'll be sitting having dinner and it's like, are you the guy from RoboCop? And I'm like, how the fuck is this guy who knows that, you know, like I, I had a, I had a, a helmet on for crazy how would you know that was oh I, I yeah no i i i recognize you so it's funny you know but then again there's another aspect to it where especially here in like new york you can walk around nobody bother you nobody even know you nobody care to know you and then other times you'll go somewhere and somebody make a big fuss oh you know and you, you're always pleasant to people because without them they wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't be having people watching the show. Because I'm a huge, I've watched all the SVU since the start, so I know every storyline that Ed has been through. Um, but I went <laughs> up to, uh, I went up to, they were filming, I was in New York a couple of years ago, my family, and they were, they'd never been, and they were doing the tourist things. And I said, oh, yeah. done it all. Yeah. I'm going to go up, I see SVU is filming. Um, and my mother was like, oh my God, in the streets of New York on your own, you'll die. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Mm, I've been here like five times, so it's okay. But, did you uh, go up and see them? Yeah, I did. So it was up in, oh, it was like 150th Street or something. I can't remember. Um, and they were filming outside this. What was seen was about this university, you know, which had been covering up um, sexual assault. And Ice was there. Mariska was there. Um, Jason Biggs, uh, Kelly, Peter, a few, a few different ones. But I could not mm. get up. I saw Ice and I was like, He's going to be like standoffish. I was like, I, I don't really get fangirly because I meet a lot of people, but I was like, oh my God, it's iced tea. Like that is, that is iced tea. And he walked over and he's like to everyone that was there. Hey guys, what's, what's up? How are you doing? What, where'd you come from? He chatted to everybody for ages. I was like, he didn't have to, like they were filming and he took out his time to that. And there was loads of people there. And I was like, wow, that's, that's, that's like amazing. He, he's one of the nicest guys you would ever meet, you know, and I'm in awe of him when he comes up and, he, and he'll start talking to me. And I'm like, well, there he is. And he's talking to me. What's he saying? You know, um, he is humble. You know what he is? He's wise. Mm. He's been through an awful lot in life. He sees life from many different perspectives. And but he's very genuine. 
you know, um, real, honest, genuine human being. And uh, he doesn't suffer fools lightly, I'll tell you that. Um, <laughs> but um, but he's, he's a sweetheart of a guy. I have mad respect for him. And when you, obviously, when you joined the show, you were, you know, this, you know, IAB guy who's coming in for like an episode and when did it when did it start to go with we're going to bring you back recurring every so often to then obviously then later on you're in it quite a lot oh I I don't know you see that's what can happen you go in and you, you know you do your job and they think oh this guy you know boy he mixed it up he wasn't firing from behind a wall he knew his lines he was here early he's nice to people mm. I don't get hired because I'm Marlon Brando <laughs> you know, be pleasant with people. That's what I really think the formula is because there's a thousand guys they could hire. You know, uh, I only did in the years, 30 episodes. It doesn't seem like a lot, you know, and people said, Oh, but you know, so anytime I came in there, I was coming hard charging. And, um, and then I remember Mariska, she grabbed me one day and she goes, look at this face. She goes, you're going to be my love interest. And I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> I said, I'm the most hated character on the show and ice t said that's going to be a slow boat to turn around for sure and uh, she said no no it's going to work and i said how she says it'll work don't worry and um and then we started dating on the show <laughs> i was like oh god she is just we had so much fun you know there's certain actors when you do scenes with them even you know it's an episodic you know police drama oh well but not with her. When 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 I would act with her, it was like a rush. You know what I mean? It was like, ah, you know, and she was always trying to make it better and better. And, you know, they'd say cut. And she's like, am I awful? Am I, do I suck? You don't suck. You, you, you suck. She's just so funny. And, and I can't even tell you the mouth on it. No. Um, <laughs> but uh, we had we had so much fun. So I think that they saw that we had uh, chemistry as people, mm-hmm. you know, you know, person to person and then actor to actor and then character to character. And so they'll bring you back if they see that there's possibility there. And it was great because, you know, our hero is in trouble, you know, because, you know, Burke shows up to rattle the cage. I had so much fun doing that. I, you have no idea. He would say, Oh, you're such a nice person in real life. I was like, thank you. you know? <laughs> uh, but it was fun. It was great fun. I like because I rewatch, uh, especially during lockdown, I rewatch the whole thing all over again. And you just think you see episodes from when you were first in it and you go, how did they get from this guy to her <laughs> dating him deadline? Which she's like, you know, calling you all these names. And I'm like, wow. Next thing it's like, oh, they're in love. Because that first time when it, she admitted it was you, I was like, that was a jaw drop. I was like, stop. <laughs> I, I look like my son when I first showed up on that show, I, you know. <laughs> Actually, my son did work on the show as a production assistant. No uh, way. Uh, yeah, that was fun. But that was one of that was one of the highlights of my, you know, the 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 working experience I've had as an actor to come into them because they're such a like a well-oiled machine. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not sitting there saying, "Well, what would my character do?" And you know, you're not doing. It's on your mark, get set, go. You have to produce. Their their schedule is very tight. The the clock is ticking. You're shooting in New York. Anything can happen to screw your shot up. You know, a car crash, a shooting, uh, somebody jumping off a building. And so when you're out on the street and they're locked, the traffic, they've stopped traffic or whatever they're doing to manipulate this shot, uh, you better you better hit your mark and, and get it right. And I always like that because I I worked in New York for so many years. I, I know New you know New York like the back of my hand. 
but yeah, certainly working with Marishka. I told her to start having dreams about me so that I'd come have to come back and film them. You know, I mean, <laughs> it's the least you could do. But anyway, I wish her nothing but success and that the show would go. I mean, it's twenty fifth season, I believe, mm. and that'll ne- that'll never be done again. No, never. Like, but what's funny is maybe you could come back. Like, eventually they're going to try and bring like Stabler and Benson together. You know, it's all been hinting for years. So maybe you could be the ghost of like warning to her, don't be with him and or something like that, just so you can go. Oh. <laughs> don't. <laughs> there is the ghost of uh, the ghost of Stabler past. I I don't I don't know. Yeah, I listen. I had my fun. That's all you know. I can say. Uh, you know, you mentioned your kids there. You know, obviously that your son was as a production assistant. Are they interested in this kind of world that you're in? Like, are they, was that just a one-off or was it, they want to get into it? He got a degree as a filmmaker. And then he, you know, started at the bottom as a production assistant. And he did that for four or five years. And then he said, you know, I think I'd like to try acting. Okay. So I said, you need to go to school. Uh, so he studied with really good teachers in New York and I said, now you need to do non-union films and build up and build up. And and he's done everything I asked him to do. And then he finally got a manager. So I, I he has talent as an actor. He definitely does. And I told him I would tell you if you didn't. You know. But um, so, yeah. And then, you know, the, the pandemic hit and obviously uh, we had the actor strike. So he's just, you know, trying to re, re-get going and reconstitute the, the, the path. Uh, he has the lead now coming in an independent film, gritty uh, New York story, and I'm very happy about that. So, uh, uh, he, yeah, he's doing it. He's making his way. And then my youngest son, Dylan, is in his second year at St. John's University in law school. So he's, you know, he's an interesting guy. <laughs> he's So, yeah, uh, law, okay. He's already worked with a big judge, and he's worked with the district attorney's office, Um so he's a very serious guy. Yeah. Both my boys are very serious. The old man isn't so serious, but uh, they are. And uh, I respect them. I learn from them so much. The the new generation, they just know a lot of stuff. Yeah. It's not that they tell me so much stuff is that during the day they'll say, oh, that's actually not true, dad. You know, <laughs> in, in that way. Oh, well, yeah. But um, they're great. I love them. They turn out to be good young men. How was it for them with their dad being known? Like, you know, I'm like, especially I suppose being young people and stuff like Gossip Girl and, you know, all that kind of st- to see I'm their dad s- being recognized. That was a double edged sword. Uh, <laughs> when when I was on Gossip Girl, my oldest was in high school and he didn't like being in, uh, like uh, being scrutinized. You know, the girls coming up to him and, and, and he said, do you have to be on that show? And I said, I said, listen to me. My father was on the fucking show. I'd be, you know, spinning that into something good. Uh, but I said, uh, listen, I, I don't know what to tell you. When the the younger one was a little lad and somebody said to him, do you know what your father does? And he looked up at them and I was like, I just, does he know what I do? And he said, yeah, I know what he does. And I said, I says, what does he, what does your father do? He goes, well, he's an astronaut and he's a cowboy and he's a policeman. And he's a, and I was like, oh, geez, isn't so. It was strange for them because no child likes to be scrutinized and looked at and, you know, weird or different. But uh, I think they get a kick out of it. I think they respect it. When they would come to the sets and visit me and I would travel with them a lot, I always had them with me. 
and they saw it, you know, you've been here for 17 hours. Why? I said, we'll be here for 19. You know, they, they understood the, the elements that were involved in it and respected it. I think they'd hear me talk about it. You know, I, I memorized 22 pages. And when I got to the set, it wasn't those words I was oh. going to say at all. It was, and you know, the, the anxiety and the stress of it, because you want to do a good job, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, you want to be professional and then it's going to be forever. You know, what you do that morning in that scene, that's going to be around for a whole time. <laughs> yeah. So you better get it right, actor boy. Uh, so I think they understood the mechanics of it better than somebody from the outside looking in, you know, who who, who didn't grow up in the business. Um, and, and it's keeping your own dignity, you know, mm-hmm. in the process. So many of the kids nowadays want celebrity on the internet and otherwise, and it's emptiness. They They just don't understand that you know, oh, is that going to fill you up as a human being? Is that going to uh, give you self-esteem? No, it's not. It's just uh, it's very superficial, and it'll only go so far. There's other aspects to your life that you better have in order as a person, uh, as a brother, as a sister, as a husband, as a, you know, whatever it is that will have deeper meaning. But again, with the internet and that kind of thing, it celebrity and acting can can seem awfully superficial um, i say on this podcast all the time i would hate to be famous i would hate to have to someone coming up to me when i'm in you know a tracksuit in the shop just buying like loads of sweets or like i'm hung over and i'm like oh don't want anyone look at me and then someone's like hi can i get a picture i'd be like no what this is going to be everywhere <laughs> we were just out the other day somewhere and i was in a kind of a, a mood and the guy said to me <laughs> excuse me, are you? And I said, no, no, I, I look like him. And the guy said, oh, and I'm a hundred percent sure he, he knew it was me, but I just, and I'm very, my wife even looked at me, she goes, you don't do that often. I said, I got to get out of here. We got to get out of here. We'll let you know. It's a tricky, it's a, you know, it's a double-edged sword. But yeah. it comes with, when I do hear of people being, um, you know, mistreating somebody who comes up to you and not being kind, that kind of makes me crazy uh, because you do, need to be kind to people no matter what you know if somebody came up to you and said hey you're the doctor who saved my kid's life or you're the this or you're that you're just interacting with people so you, you want to act like a, a decent human being you know but every once in a while the picture thing um you know it doesn't happen often where i would say no you know and now people come up to you with the selfie and it happens so quickly it's like yeah sure click and it's done you know so it's not Nothing painful about it. Yeah. You're in a restaurant sometime and some guy grabs you by the arm and he's like, you got to come over and meet my, my mother-in-law. And I'm like, no, I don't. <laughs> I'm like, I don't want to meet your mother-in-law. <laughs> Take your hand off him. Have you been recognized when you've been over in Ireland before? Yes. I, I, I'm not really out in, when I'm in Ireland. Every once in a while we'll go into town and I'm usually with my family. So, mm. But there was one time in the old town hotel in Clare or Limerick, Limerick it is. And, and all of a sudden the word went out, Oh, it's Bart Bass. And, you know, so I made a getaway there. And then one night in Galway, well, back when I smoked cigarettes and somebody said, are you Bart Bass? And I said, I am sure. Love this stuff. Anyway, um, so, you know, it depends. It depends. Um, every once in a while. And, and, but sometimes I'll just say, Oh, I look like that fellow, you know, 
you probably get recognised more for being like the Burke from Galway, like as in the locals be like, oh, you're your dad's son. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. The newer generation, though, when I go over, they it's I, I, I think they understand who I am because, you know, I, I haven't seen much of the country. Yeah. Uh, I, I go to Galway and uh, I sit in the kitchen and I drink tea and I look out the window and we talk. And then all of a sudden, you know, 10 days have gone by and that's all I've done. And I'm very content to do that, you know, and they'll tell you that, you know, uh, I've been to Clare and Kerry and that's it. Never been to Dublin, never been to the South, never been to the North. My cousins would say, you know, years ago I was there with my father and my aunt yelled. She's like, well, get off your ass and take him to see Dublin, take him to see a bit of the country. And my father slammed the table. He goes, he just came from one city. He's not going to see, you know, and everybody, nobody moved. (laughs) So they left me and I've never been to Dublin. That was 1979 for God's sakes. I really, you know, I follow these um, accounts on um, Instagram about, you know, hiking in Ireland and seeing Ireland. And I'm like, where is that? Where is that? My son, Liam, is a a really avid surfer. So we're going to try and get up that way. Uh, let's say Donegal Sligo has fantastic mm. surf breaks. Obviously, uh, Lahinch and other places too. But um, there's so much of that country that I've never seen. And it, it happens every time I, I go and I get to the kitchen, you know, <laughs> and I, 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 I see about, you know, two or three families a day just to make sure I get to everybody. But that's my, that's the vacation, you know, just connecting with everybody because, you know, I don't go frequently, but I don't go infrequently. I haven't been since uh, 2019. My cousin Ruth Burke um, married Patty uh, December 3rd in Salt Hill, and I I couldn't make it. Uh, I would have loved to have gone, but I'll get there. I I have to be patient about that. And uh, um, But yeah, I get to the kitchen, and that's it. Well, take it from someone who lives in Dublin. You don't need to see Dublin. You're not (laughs) surprised. It's just like any other city. I always get people who tell me, oh, I've been to Ireland. And I'll say, where? And the only place they've been is Dublin. And I'm like, no, go west. Go west. Come on. Go to the Aran Islands. Go yeah. to Connemara. Go there. That's where you need to go. I'd love to go to Aran, the Blaskets and everything. I've read uh, a lot of the literature. Maurice O'Sullivan, Thomas O'Cron. I would just love to, you know, um, Skellig Michael uh, is just uh, all these types of places that I read about, but I've never been. And uh, and I'll get to. I think I, I'm just saving it all up somehow. <laughs> I hope I'm not in a wheelchair. But um, yeah, uh, my both of my kids and my wife have been to Dublin a couple of times, uh, and I'll get there eventually, I suppose. Ah, the kitchen sounds a lot more heartwarming. You know, get the soda bread. We we have we have uh, great old chats. I can tell you that. <laughs> so you're obviously busy again now that the actors' strike is over. I I see, like I imagine you know. You know, you weren't able to do much. First, you weren't able to travel with the pandemic and you can't really work. Yeah. Then that yeah, ends. Yeah. Then this kicks off again. So you must be like itching to do stuff now. It's not obvious that I'm busy, or is it? I mean, <laughs> um, no, a couple of things came over and they were not not very good. So you just let them go and pass on them. And uh, the strike ended at a funny time. Studios and networks don't want to like uh, regenerate before the holidays, certainly mm-hmm. they're getting their ducks in order for what they're going to shoot in the new year. So as January unfolds, so will the uh, projects that are going to be coming along. But I am, I'd be a liar to say that I'm not itching to get back. I enjoy it so much. And 
you know, you're always hoping that it's a good project, an important project. The last three that I did were a lot of fun. The Boston Strangler with Keira Knightley. You talk about pinching yourself. Mm-hmm. Wakanda Forever, the Black Panther. Mm-hmm. That was an eye-opener after 30 years in the business. You think you've seen it all, and you get to the scope and the size of a production like that. So I've been very lucky, always very lucky. And um, But I, 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 I'm definitely looking forward to getting back to it. Yeah, and I'm sure after being off for a while, you don't want to just take the first job that's not so great because you're like, Do you know what, I've been off and I've, I've been okay. And what's the point in taking that terrible, terrible acting job? <laughs> yeah. you, 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 it's well said. You, you do not want to just jump at the first thing. I never really did any. Well, I did actually, but but uh, as time goes on, it has to, you know, it has to have a little something to it to 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 be a part of it because it's your time, you know, you're given. Yeah, so the money is the money, I suppose. Um, but uh, yeah, you want it to be a good project. I like doing things with history in them, where you get to read about the time and. Uh, place and, and characters and stuff like that. If they were real life per- people, that's always terribly interesting to me. Um, I've, like I said, I've played astronauts and, and military people who actually lived. And uh, when you get to read about the past and, 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 you know, the way they lived and how they conducted themselves, that's always very interesting to, to recreate. Maybe some Irish director will listen to this and say, right, he's never been to half the places. He can do an Irish accent. We'll get him over. <laughs> We'll, we'll start in Belfast. <laughs> it was it Dennis Leary? I said, you know, if we could get a movie in Ireland, he said, oh, Jesus, Mark. He said, that'd be the perfect crime. You know, <laughs> we'd, we'd, be, we'd be just stealing money at that point. No, be, I, I would love, it would be a dream, 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 dream to to work in Ireland in um, whatever capacity. It would, I'm going to say there's a great chance it would be a great story, obviously. Uh, so, yeah, it would, it would be a lot of fun. Well, I'm excited to see what you do next because, as you said, you like your your CV is, you know, as I said before, everybody knows you from something different, and to get roles in like those all those movies, like Marvel films and stuff, now in your career, they're so huge. So, I'm excited to see what you pick is going to be the next one. I was sitting home minding my own business when the phone rang for for the Marvel movie, and I was like, "Really, me? Like, <laughs> are you sure you have the right number?" Yeah, it's that. But you see, that's exciting. You know, I'm 63 years old. Uh, who gets to do that? You know, yeah, I, I hope some Irish director is out there now. I speak a bit of the language. Uh, I play a bit of the music. Anyway, uh, uh, yeah, it would be it would be a dream come true. Absolute dream come true. We'll get you, Dennis Leary and Timothy Murphy. I was talking to him recently and he was saying he wants Where to. Where are you? Yeah, so. I was supposed to work with Tim two summers ago. My son Liam was in the movie as an actor. Oh. And. Tim arrived and he said, where is Robert Burke? And I, I had to pull out of the movie. I had to, I had this other commitment that I had to honor and they changed the schedule. And my son went to meet him. He said, he's not here. <laughs> so, so Tim and I are in touch. We send each other the odd message, you know, on Instagram and this and that and everything. I love him. I respect him so much. He's a fantastic actor, uh, you know, and, and he's another guy uh, I'd love to work with at some point. Almost did, you know. Mm, well, I feel like I should write this film. I'll write a historical <laughs> film. I'll just get you all over. <laughs> Do. <laughs> That's my plan. Okay, weekend plans cancelled. Start Christmas plans. Go. Start this film. <laughs> Great story. 
Are you all set for Christmas now? What is your big plans? Uh, no, I'm not set at all. I never am. Uh, I'll be I'll be obsessing and stressed out about what to buy people, and I'll buy the wrong thing, and they'll look at me and they'll return it. And, uh, <laughs> no, um, no, we'll be at my one of my nephews. He has the big house now, so we'll go to him, and um, he's in Westchester, which is not very far. And uh, it'll be a smaller group this year. We've had a a pretty good run on children since the uh, since the pandemic. Uh, three more new ones, and we're all dying to see them. So yeah, it'll it'll be you know just having the kids the kids the young men home. I love it. I I love that time, and uh, it's always been a good time in my in my, in my family. Well, I hope you have an amazing one. I also am stressed about my presence, but. I'm just like, oh, it'll work itself out. It'll, it'll work. work. It all always does. <laughs> you know, it'll always, it, it always does. I have just looked at the time, realized I've kept you nearly an hour and a half. So my apologies for keeping you this long. My God, but I've been just so, I'm loving our chat. So thank you so much for giving me up so much of your time. Not at all, Nicola. I, I, I you know, when I saw that Ireland and this, and I said, yep, 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 yep. <laughs> my wife was like, you don't know who it is. I said, I don't care who it is. A bit of a chat, you know. Now, and, and that, uh, thank you so much for having me, and and good luck. And you won some award there, yeah, uh, some podcast yeah, I award. Won the best new podcast at the Irish Podcast Awards. So I was delighted with my life and very shocked. Well, congratulations! I was. You see, that's that's the thing. You reached out to me. I said yes. I mean, that's what people do, you know. <laughs> uh, and you won't know until you you do that. And I respect that in people. Uh, we were always, you know, my upbringing was like, shh, no. You know, be quiet, sit down. Uh, you know, doing the best. And 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 when you're when you get out there and get it done, you know, then they start giving you little statues and stuff. So good, good, good on you. You know, I know the little bit of Irish guilt is like, oh, don't send that DM. You'll just be disrupting their day. They don't want to hear from you. But then I'm like, just send it. Just send. It. And you know, it's it's good. It's good. It's it's great. And it, a pleasure to meet you. And and I can't thank you enough for having me on. Oh, thank you so much. And look, if you're ever over this way again, let me know, even though you'll be in Galway, so with the family. But if I'm in New York, I'll give you a shout and a bye. Give a shout. Point. Do. <laughs> Do. <laughs> all right. Happy Christmas. Happy Christmas. Cheers. Best for um, all the holidays. Cheers, bye. son. Bye, bye, bye. I have to say thanks so much to Bobby like he is just so lovely I cut off that call and it was my second podcast recording of that day and I was just like buzzing I honestly was like it was late at night and I was thinking oh I could go to bed afterwards actually I was buzzing afterwards probably could have saved for the rest of the evening had, we had such good crack and he messaged me afterwards and it was such a lovely message and I just really appreciate that because as we talked in the podcast there there's so many people who are ego driven in that industry and when you meet nice people and you get to talk to them about like so much different range of stuff. And, you know, like you're a fan of their work and like, you know, he answered all my questions and gave me such an insight to the industry, but also like he's so normal as well. Like he comes to Ireland and he's not planning to do like, he's not just here to do the touristy things. He's here to hang out with cousins and uncles and aunties and the whole lot. You know, I would think that was just so class. So um, if you're on Instagram, uh, go and follow him. He's under Bobby1960. So you can follow him there. And as I said, if there's any Irish directors, listening Dennis Leary Tim, Tim Murphy and the lovely Bobby Work are dying to work in Ireland so get on to them lads
get onto them there and we could do an old, I wanted some sort of credit in this now. I'll, I'll be on your writing team or, you know, do something, but I want to be part of this film as well. I can be an extra in the background or something. Um, that would be cast. While we're on the topic of like SVU episodes. So if you are a fan of SVU and you haven't heard it already, if you scroll back about like eight episodes or so, there is an interview with Dan Florick, who played Captain Don Cragen on the show. So he was my, one of my last guests of last season. So that was really cool. So I am, um, it's such an amazing thing for me. This podcast giving me the chance to talk to people from shows and like singers and stuff that I am, like I've watched Law and Order SVU since season one. It's 25 years this year. I'm obsessed. I can tell you, like the start of an episode, I know what it's going to be. I know who the killer is. I know who the, the one who's going to be in jail and I know who Stabler's going to punch in the face. I love all the spinoffs. Um, so now my hope for 2024 is manifestation, putting this out there. I am going to get some of the Chicago PD because it's my other favourite or SWAT. But I'm always open to suggestions. So if you have someone that you're like, you know, I don't really hear them on a podcast or, you know, even if you do and you're like, do you know who'd be good? Send me a DM on Instagram, I'm on Twitter, I'm on TikTok, Facebook, all under Tiz Yourself. So go find me and, or you can find me on my own accounts, Nicola Barden. Come and find me and send me a message. Always up to hear from people. And if you're a celebrity or a friend of Bobby's and you're listening to this, you're Dennis O'Leary. You're like, do you know what? I wouldn't mind talking, chatting to that little Irish woman. Slide into my DMs. Dying to hear from you. Um, but yes, look, it's Christmas and you're all if you are listening to this around Christmas, I hope you have an amazing holidays. I hope you are kind to yourself. I hope you get to relax, turn off your phone for a few hours, put your feet up, watch loads of movies. I've just watched Elf today. There's another tick of the box. I'm going to watch the Gavin and Stacey Christmas special tomorrow. So yeah, just be kind to yourself, be kind to those people around you. Not everyone's going to have a fairy tale Christmas and it can be quite hard for different people. So that's what I mean. Just be kind to yourself and be kind to other people around you. And for me personally, I just want to thank every single person who has listened to any episode of the last year. It's been, you've been just amazing. And anyone who's shared it, anyone who messages me, anyone who sends me something saying like what they really enjoyed, if you're sharing it on Twitter and Facebook, or WhatsApp or whatever, like it's so, I'm a small podcast. I'm just doing this on my own. I don't get paid for it. Uh, you know, I, it's a lot of work, but I absolutely love it. And I just love hearing from you. So you know, always feel free to send me a message. It, like, it means a lot and I will always reply. So <laughs> always send me a message. It's no problem. And um, here's to 2024 being the biggest year for Tiz Yourself, for being an amazing year for all of us and for sunnier times. <laughs> the cold can go away in the wind. Um, Living in Ireland, mm, we'll see. But if we can just, 2024 being an amazing year all around and a bit more joy and a bit more happy, happiness in the world and for Tiz Yourself, some more amazing guests like the lovely Bobby Burke. I am going to go. Happy Christmas. Milikonovic and Slon and look after yourselves. Bye. Bye, 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 bye.